Well, welcome to 2022. Danny Heath back up on stage, Pastor Ed back with us today. Isn't it good to have both of them leading today and helping us today? Pastor Ed has been serving as he often does on Sunday mornings in an interim role, uh, but he missed his church family, and uh, we're glad to have he and Miss Martha with us today. Uh, two weeks from today, Pastor Ed will be back to preach. Uh, so make your plans now to come back and support him and be encouraged by that. Danny is on stage today because Pastor David, our worship pastor, uh, is at Anthony Baptist Church. Many of you know that we have a partnership with Anthony Baptist Church and uh, we're beginning to, to engage them and, and assist them in many ways. And uh, once a month we'll be sending a worship team up there to help uh, lead worship, give some of their folks that have been serving a break. Uh, I encourage you to be back here next Sunday morning. You'll hear a whole lot more uh, about our partnership with Anthony as well as other things that are in front of our church because a week from today is Vision Sunday and you do not want to miss next week. So two weeks in a row, uh, you need to be make sure to be here without question next Sunday for Vision Sunday. And then the following Sunday, Pastor Ed will be here, uh, make plans to be a part of those two services. In fact, just go ahead and plan out the rest of your year. Be here every Sunday, amen? We preach the Word of God here, and we do so unashamedly. And uh, we believe that one, one of the ways that we can, can connect with the Lord is to sit under His Word. Today, we're going to be in the third epistle of John. John, uh, third John. Uh, we're going to cover the entire book today, so get ready. Uh, we're covering all 15 verses. That's all that, that are in this book, uh, but we're going to do it today. And today's message is entitled Testimony Time. Now, I grew up in a smaller church, um, and uh, Yellow Creek Baptist Church on uh, Thruston Dermont Road. Uh, uh, I, I grew up there. We used to have testimony nights. Anybody been in part of a church you used to have testimony night? If you don't know what a testimony night, it's like open mic night for, t for Christians. Um, and people take turns giving a, a word to the Lord. We don't do that much around here these days. Number one, we're on the internet and we, we got to police what, what's being said. You never know what's going to happen. Um, but, but also just in a large group, it's often harder to do that. We encourage folks though to bear testimony uh, to one another, do so in community groups and all. But uh, sharing of testimony is a good thing. But you know what, when often, the most often time you're going to hear a testimony being shared it's after the person is gone. We, we, we often share testimonies on, the day, uh, on the, uh, the day we have a funeral service or, or a celebration service of a life. Because when we die, whether we bore testimony from our mouth or not about who we were in Christ, somebody's going to bear testimony of us. Someone's going to stand, more than likely, uh, when, when, our day upon earth is, when our days upon earth are over, and uh, people will stand beside our remains and they will start telling our story, our, our testimony. And they're going to say a lot of things about our lives. Uh, I heard the story of a, of a couple of evil, evil brothers. They were very wealthy and they often used their money, uh, to, to, uh, the way they used their money, they sort of kept it out of the, the public eye. Lots of people thought that they were walking with the Lord. They were church members. Uh, they even attended the same church. They appeared on the outside to be the perfect set of Christians and, and church members. Uh, and when their pastor retired and a new one was hired, he figured out very quickly that these guys weren't all that they, they said they were. He saw right through their deception. Well, the church started to grow under the new pastor and the, the numbers began to swell and it led to a, a building campaign. They need to, needed to build a, building, a bigger building. And uh, so a fundraising campaign was started to, to build the building. 
And all of a sudden, in the middle of all of that, one of the brothers died. Uh, and the remaining brother, he approached the new pastor, and he, it was the day before the funeral, handed him a check, and it was for the, the exact amount needed to fund the rest of the building. But he said this, he said, I have one condition at my, my brother's funeral, you must say that my brother was a saint. Well, the pastor gave his word, and he deposited the check. Next day at the funeral, the pastor began to, to, to conduct the funeral service, but he didn't hold back. And he flat out said, listen, this man was an evil man. He cheated on his wife, he abused his family, and he went on and on in the same vein for a long time, the same way. And then he concluded with this, but compared to his brother, he, he was a saint. We're all bearing testimonies, amen? Listen, when I do a funeral service uh, and I spend time with the family beforehand, I try to make it as personal as I can. And, uh, and we, we sort of, I sort of go about it like this. I'll sit down because people have lots of things that they want to share. They don't always know where to begin. And so I'll ask them, as, as we're preparing to share their testimony, just give me a word, just one word that you believe describes your loved ones. And that's the only question I have to ask. Because someone will say a word and then that will lead to the flood of memories of who this person was and what they were about. Well, today we're going to hear the story or the testimonies of three people as described in, in John's third epistle. Uh, two of these testimonies, as you're going to hear them, are positive. They're, they're words spoken positively of, of individuals, but sort of sandwiched in between is the story of one that would have a negative testimony. But I believe all of them, both the positive and the negative ones, really ought to serve for you and for me as an encouragement to, to have a positive testimony ourselves for the Lord. As you're going to see at the end of this passage, there's going to be this, this statement about adding our testimony to these. Hear me, church. We are all, if we have a relationship with Jesus, we are all adding to the testimony of Christ. We all have a testimony and we are living that. It's not about what we say as much about who we are in Christ Jesus. And we are all adding to the testimony of others. So let's examine these testimonies, one right after the other, and hear some words that describe them. So I'm going to invite you to stand with me. We're, if you don't know where 3 John is, go to the end of the Bible and start working your way back toward the, 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 the center. Uh, it's just a couple of books in. Revelation, Jude, then 3 John. We stand in the honor of the reading of God's Word. Follow along as I read it. The elder, this is the Apostle John, we believe. The elder, to the beloved Gaius, whom I love in truth. Beloved, I pray that all may go well with you and that you may be in good health as it goes well with your soul. For I rejoice greatly when the brothers came and testified to your truth, as indeed you're walking in the truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. Beloved, it is a faithful thing that you do in all your efforts for these brothers, strangers as they are, who testified to your love before the church. You will do well to send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God. For they have gone out for the sake of the name, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. Therefore, we ought to support people like these that we may be fellow workers for the truth. I've written something to the church, but Diotrephes, who likes to put himself first, does not acknowledge our authority. So if I come, I will bring up what he is doing, 
talking wicked nonsense against us and not content with that, he refuses to welcome the brothers and also stops those who want to and, and puts them out of the church. Beloved, do not imitate evil, but imitate good. Whoever does good is from God. Whoever does evil has not, has not seen God. Demetrius has received a good testimony from everyone and from, truth, from the truth itself. We also add our testimony, and you know that our testimony is true. I had much to write to you, but I would rather not write with pen and ink. I hope to see you soon, and we will talk face to face. Peace be to you. The friends greet you. Greet the friends each by name. Would you pray with me, please? Most Heavenly Father, in this moment, as we read your word, we've heard the testimony of others. We don't know these individuals, we didn't know them personally, but others did, John did. And though they may have said many things out of their mouths, it was how they lived their life for you or not for you that is now standing the test of time. Their testimony continues. Lord, I don't know if books will be written about us one day, but Lord, if they are written, what will the testimony be? What testimony will we, will we add to the testimony of others about our faith in you. May it be that they write positive ones, not negative ones, because we strove to walk daily in the truth for you. Speak now, I pray. Encourage us and challenge us. In the name of Christ Jesus, we pray it. Amen and amen. God bless you. Go ahead and have a seat. Last week, if you were with us, you know we were in 2 John, which... Uh, the context of, of 3 John is really the same context of 1 John and 2 John, written most likely by the Apostle John, as, as he's writing to deal with false teachers and others who were uh, trying to disrupt the faith. Um, some of them were, uh, these false teachers were trying to take advantage of the hospitality and the kindness of Christians to gain influence within the church. This caused some to be uh, speculative about those who were trying to come through as missionaries. Uh, Third John in particular is going to address Christian hospitality, particularly some traveling missionaries and evangelists, um, whom John is going to actually affirm Gaius and others for, for caring for them. And so Third John is the third of three letters, these three letters written by John. It just so happens uh, that Third John is not only the shortest of these three letters, we've just read the shortest book in all of the Bible. And this third letter is addressed to a man named Gaius. Who he is, we don't really know for certain. Uh, this name pops up in several places in the New Testament. It was a, a common name in the Roman Empire. Um, in fact, his name appears uh, in several other places. In Acts chapter 19, uh, there is a Gaius uh, from uh, Macedonia who is named as a companion of Paul in Ephesus. Uh, in the very next chapter of Acts, Acts chapter 20, another Gaius of Derby is mentioned. In the book of Romans, Paul mentions a Gaius who uh, hosted him while he wrote the book, uh, while he, and he was in the city of Corinth at the time, so it's likely that they're not talking about the same person, probably a third person. But it's that third one described in the book of Romans that is probably the same uh, Gaius that uh, Paul said had, he had baptized in Corinth, one of two people that he had baptized in Corinth. So here's the question, which of these uh, men named Gaius is the same as the one mentioned in 3 John, or is the one mentioned in 3 John a, a completely different one? Well, we, we really don't know. There's no way to know for certain. 
But what we do know is that this particular man by the name of Gaius was John's dear friend, and he was known for his generous hospitality. And now, these are also some of the final words that are going to be written by John. Um, and we know that he's, he's also going to pen the book of Revelation as based on his revelation there. But whether John understands all of this or not, just like Paul, they didn't always know uh, the, the course of their life and when their life would end. Um, but he's really bearing testimony. John's not bearing testimony, though, about his own life. He's bearing the testimony of others. Uh, and, uh, and what we're going to be doing here in this passage today, in, in studying this passage, and, and really the, the thrust of my message to you today is to examine these three individuals that are mentioned in this text and to bear testimony, to give their testimony and speak of the traits that define them. And so I'll mention these three people, describe them very quickly, and in light of their testimony, some good, some at least one bad, I want to challenge you to consider your own testimony. You may not have as wide of an influence as John or these others that are mentioned here, but I'm telling you, people are watching you. They're paying attention. They're seeing, good or bad, your Christian testimony. And right now, you, your testimony is being written. So what is your testimony? What, what, will people, what do people say of you? Or if you were to suddenly pass, what would, what would the testimony be that others would say and attribute to your life? The first testimony that John is going to mention here is he's going to give it and, and it's going to really come across as one bearing testimony of a dear friend and that's the testimony that he makes of, Ga of Gaius himself. And so John is writing to this man but really John's words are at the same time a testimony of him. So let's take a look at testimony number one that is the testimony of Gaius. Uh, Gaius's testimony is, is the longest of the three that you're going to find in this in our study today. In fact, half of the, the book is in the content of this book is going to be dedicated to him. So what is his testimony? Well, the first thing that I believe John would testify about him is that Gaius is flourishing in body and soul. Look again at verse 1 and verse 2. The elder to the beloved Gaius, whom I love in truth, beloved, I pray that all may go well with you and that you may be in good health as it goes well with your soul. Here you see very fond words coming out of John, written by his hand, and declaring that Gaius is a beloved friend of his. And he talks about him and speaks of him, both of what he wants for him, but almost as if he's describing him, that all may go well, he writes. Literally, that means that he would have a prosperous journey. And what, what John is speaking about Gaius over is about a life that is flourishing, uh, he, he's talking about a flourished life. John's hope for his beloved friend is that he would flourish in at least a couple of ways. One, they would flourish physically. He talks about him being in good health. May you be in good health or flourish physically. He also talks about the spiritual flourishing when he speaks of it, uh, his prayer that, it, he would, that all would go well with his soul. What we see here is a love that John has for Gaius. And, his, and because he loved him, he, he wants best for him. He wants things to go well for him. Desired that he would be healthy inside and out. And the assumption that John makes of Gaius is that he is indeed doing these things. That he is flourishing. Physically, yes. But more importantly, that he is growing and flourishing spiritually. That his soul is flourishing. You know, this is a testimony that I, I don't think I hear enough of when it comes to those of us who are living today. When we talk about the testimony of our faith... Do you hear much about someone flourishing in the spirit? 
Something I, I long to hear more and more of. You know, the testimony that we often hear given of other people, we'll hear something like, well, you know, he was a, 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 a good friend. He was a, she was a giver. He, he loved his church or she adored her family. And all of those things are wonderful. We, we, I pray that, that those would be typical of you and described of you. But, but maybe we should also pray to hear more things like this, that this person, man, she walked with Jesus. She flourished spiritually. She strove to be like Jesus. He wanted to keep growing in his faith. And so Gaius' testimony, one, is that, as John declares, he's flourishing, flourishing in body and soul. But with that is a second trait, and that is he is conforming to the word. And it may, may go without saying, but I'm, I'm going to just say it anyway. You cannot flourish in the spirit if you are also not conforming to the word. You cannot be like Jesus if you are not rooted in the scriptures if you're not conforming your life to the word and the truth of scripture you got to walk in the truth of scripture and Gaius did just that look at verse 3 John writes for I rejoiced greatly when the brothers came and testified to your truth as indeed this is an important phrase you are walking in the truth and then he adds to that verse 4 I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth so the testimony of, of this part of the testimony of Gaius' life is that he walked in truth, meaning that he was living or, or behaving in a manner that lined up with that truth. It's just another way of saying that Gaius lived a biblically obedient life. He loved the Lord so much and loved his word so much that he sought to conform his life to that of the word of God, that his life conformed to the word of truth. And it was so true of Gaius that he was doing this that others were noticing it. They were talking about it. It was his testimony. And this testimony that John is now hearing is now joyful uh, news to John. I'll occasionally uh, have someone approach me and, and make some positive statement about one of my children. And just say, yeah, just wonderful to see this particular child of yours, uh, how much they are walking with Jesus or demonstrating what it's like to be a godly man or godly woman. And I'm going to tell you, anytime someone comes up and says that to me, I cannot tell you the joy that overfloods my soul to know that I didn't mess it up, right? Right? No, but to know that they're walking with Jesus. There's just something, and any, any parent will tell you this, that we're proud when our children accomplish things, but more so, not that they accomplish things, but that we're most proud when they do right. That's far more significant. It's noticeable to others. So, so Gaius is flourishing in body and soul. He's conforming his life uh, to the word, to the truth, but also this third trait about him, and that he is loving and hospitable. John said in verse 5, Beloved, it is a faithful thing you do in all your efforts for these brothers, strangers as they are, who testified to your love uh, uh, before the church. You'll notice that John begins to mention, and has already mentioned previously, uh, some people he refers to as the brothers, or these brothers. What that is a reference to is more than likely a group of, of evangelist missionaries who were traveling between some of the churches over which John had oversight. And as they traveled, they would move from one city to the next, come and minister and serve among a, a local congregation. And they didn't have a place to stay. They didn't have a job to, to take care of themselves by. And so as they traveled, they relied upon the hospitality and the generosity of some of the local believers. And Gaius himself particularly stepped up as the elder of his church in order to take care of some of these traveling missionaries. And he did so, as, as John describes it, out of a love for his congregation. Gaius loved the church. He loved the Lord's church. 
And that was his testimony. Uh, the thing is, he didn't just say it. He showed it. He demonstrated it by demonstrating care and hospitality. And that came as an overflow of his flourishing in the faith. In fact, look at verse 6 halfway through. He says, you will do well to send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God. For they have gone out for the sake of the name, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. Therefore, we ought to support people like these, that we may be fellow workers for the truth. So here you see John is, is encouraging the church to support these missionaries, these evangelists like Gaius did. These, these missionaries were not trying to earn their living from the non-believers. And John understood that it was the responsibility of the church to take care of its missionaries. Uh, but but he, he, So he's calling the church to do that very thing, which he no doubt did because uh, Gaius did because of his loving and generous and hospita- hospitable spirit. So here you then have the testimony of Gaius. And what a testimony it is. Can you imagine at the end of your life if someone said, look, of all the things that have been said over this, the passing of this dear person, the things that matter most to me and, and stood out the most about you when you passed away was that you were flourishing in body and spirit, that you were conforming to the word, that you were loving and hospitable. Wouldn't that be a grand thing to say about your life? So Gaius' testimony is a testimony that anyone would love to have but you know, the second testimony, not so much. So let's take a look at the second testimony. Testimony number two, number two which is in reference to diatrophies. Diatrophies. Let's read about them one more time. Verse 9, I've written something to the church. But diatrophies, who likes to put himself first, does not acknowledge our authority. So if I come, I will bring up what he's doing, talking wicked nonsense among us, uh, against us. And not content with that, he refuses to welcome the brothers and also stops those who want to and puts them out of the church. Obviously, this is not going to go well for diatrophies. I can only imagine uh, the day when this letter began to circulate beyond the, the original recipients and makes its way back to a place in which diatrophies is receiving the letter. So the second testimony is not a good one, it's a negative one. It's the only negative testimony that we have. But I believe John places it here as a warning, I believe. Not much is known about diatrophies, like we don't know a whole lot about, about Gaius. His diatrophies, his name only appears here in the Bible. And what we do know about him is derived from these verses. Uh, apparently, John had written a previous letter, and in it he instructed the church to be hospitable to the teachers and the evangelists and the, and the missionaries that had been sent to them. But, but for some reason, Diotrephes rejected that letter. He didn't want to hear it. He thought he knew better, so he rejects John, rejects his authority. And because of his arrogance, Diotrephes, for the rest of eternity, is going to have his name in the, in the eternal word of God. Can you imagine? And John had nothing good to say about him, but he did have some things to say. And so let's talk about the, the, the testimony left behind now of diatrophies. For instance, John describes him as being self-centered. Again, verse 9, he talks about how diatrophies likes to put himself first. So the most notable description, the first thing said about diatrophies uh, is that he's a self-promoter, that he wanted to be first. And I found that almost all self-centered people, they have no idea that they're self-centered. Have you noticed that? That troubles me, just so you know, because I, I don't want to be self-centered. But it seems that so many self-centered people, they have no idea that they're way, that way, but if they would just listen to themselves and listen, they'll see it. 
Everything seems to be centered about them, what they want, what, what inconveniences them, what they think. They use I, the word I, that first personal pronoun, a lot. And they're really enthralled with themselves. It reminds me of Narcissus, the, 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 the Greek hunter of legend who fell in love with his own reflection in the water. You know that story? Of course, that's where we get the term narcissism from. We get so focused upon ourselves, so enthralled with ourselves, so in love with ourselves. But I'm telling you, as a Christian, being Christian and, and being narcissistic are really not to be compatible terms. They're not compatible. And yet this was said of this so-called believer, Diotrephes, that he liked to put himself first. That is not Christ-like. Secondly, John describes Diotrephes as rebellious. Note, note that he talks about him not acknowledging uh, our authority. That's uh, John's authority as a church leader. Basically, he was not accepting John's authority nor the, the authority of the apostles. This really ties really closely to uh, his self-centeredness. The idea that Diotrephes knew better. He had, the, the, he had an opinion and his opinion was correct. His own opinion mattered more, which led him to reject the opinion and the authority of others, or at least dismissing it as if he knows better. You know, if I was in charge of this church, here's how I would do it, Diotrephes would probably be thinking. Likewise, Diotrephes is described as slanderous. Look at, in verse 10 again. He says, and, and this is a warning, by the way. This is John saying, hey, Diotrephes, I'm coming for you. So if I come, I will bring up what he is doing, talking wicked nonsense against us. He was pretty much saying that, that, that in order to de defend his rebellion against the apostles, Diotrephes started to, to attack the very character of, of the apostles, speaking malicious words against them, untrue things, but what he was trying to do was strip them of their credibility by slandering their, their character, their deeds, and their motives. Slanderous. And on top of all of that, John describes him ultimately as being unloving and antagonistic. Look at the end of verse 10. He says, not being content with that, he refuses to welcome the brothers and also stops those who want to welcome the brothers and puts them out of the church. So this letter that had been circulating around, hey, be sure to care for these missionaries when they come by. Be care to take care of the evangelists and these traveling teachers when they come. Be hospitable to them. Unlike Gaius, Diotrephes refused to be hospitable. Even worse, he opposed some of them uh, and, uh, and, and more specifically opposed those that wanted to support them and tried to kick them out of the church. And so we, we, you have this incredible testimony, but it's incredibly bad. Self-centered, rebellious, slanderous, unloving, antagonistic. None of these things are reflective of someone who's been, been blood-bought and changed by, the, by, by Jesus. And you'll notice there's not one positive thing said of him, which is not a very encouraging reputation for a church member. And I will tell you throughout my ministry, I've seen a few church members along the way. I'm not talking about anybody in the room, all right? So, so slow your roll. But I've, I've, I've seen a few church members who wanted their way so much regardless of what it did to the church. I've even dealt with some who, who didn't care that the entire church died as long as they got their way, having no, little or no regard for, for the feelings or, the, or, the, or the, the hope and aspirations of anyone else. And if, that, if you've ever come across someone like that, you know, they really have the spirit of diatrophies. And what, what we ought to call it is what it really is. It's the spirit of the devil. It's someone stuck upon themselves, focused upon themselves, bringing attention to themselves and what they believe to be right. 
It's really the spirit of pride that's a very dangerous spirit and it can completely destroy a church. And I'm telling you, we, we ought to be stand guard again and, 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 and guard against such a, a perspective. See, Diotrephes' soul was not prospering. It was not flourishing. He wanted to be recognized as the leader. He wanted to be the guy. And he, wasn't, or he hadn't earned that right. He was demanding it. And I pray that your testimony wouldn't be that way. I know it won't. Now, moving beyond Diotrephes, John is going to give us one last testimony. This one, fortunately, is a positive one. So testimony three is Demetrius. Demetrius. Let me read it one more time. Verse 11. Beloved, do, do not imitate evil, but imitate good. Whoever does good is from God. Whoever does evil has not seen God. Demetrius has received a good testimony from everyone and from the truth itself. We also add our testimony, and you know that our testimony is true. So the word that comes to John's mind when he thinks of Demetrius is the word good. Good. And there are two things that, that John notes about him that, that designate him as good. First, he's a good model. John, John is about to speak uh, to, uh, of Demetrius when he says this in verse 11. He says, Beloved, do not imitate evil, but imitate good. That word imitate, it means to emulate, it means to follow, to model. And so John's call, not just about Demetrius and describing him, but it's a call to all of us, is that we would model goodness that which is good. So why is imitating good a good thing? Well, he, he says it there at the end of verse 11. He says, whoever does good is from God. This is why you want to imitate good. When you imitate good, it's a sign that you're, you're from God. So whoever does good is from God. Whoever does evil has not seen God. And so the evidence that we are from God, Christian, is the fruit of our lives, the spiritual fruit. When we do good, the, the goodness that, that we do really doesn't come from us. It's not something that we ourselves uh, do in our own strength and ability. It comes from being regenerated. It comes from having the work of Christ in our lives and the Spirit of God now in us and indwelling us. It comes from the Lord through our relationship with Him. But the reciprocal to that is doing evil. And it's a sign if we are doing evil, it is a sign that we don't have a relationship with God. And so having a testimony that we imitate good is a sign of genuine faith in the Lord. And so we need to seek to be a model of good. And let me caution you here. I'm not telling you that being good is how you become right with God. That's not John's perspective here. He is talking about the, the fruit of being right with the Lord, which brings about goodness. And it's not something that we, we do in a moment and after we've received Christ, that we begin to imitate good in a moment, and suddenly we've got the testimony of imitating good, that, that we, are, we are good models. No, it's something that is played out over time, over time. And so we seek to be a model of goodness. So that's what Demetrius is. He is a good model. But he also, secondly, had a good reputation. Notice verse 12. Very specifically, he says, Demetrius has received a good testimony from everyone and from the truth itself. Here he play, pulls that word out, truth, or, or good again. Speaking specifically of Demetrius, he is good. Demetrius is much like Gaius. He, he does the right thing. He is conforming his life to the truth. He is flourishing in the spirit and is doing so to such a degree that people not only notice it, they testify about it. Do you know the story of, of Ben Carson? 
Then Carson has been most recently served in, in our federal government, but he, he first came on the scene uh, because, being a famous doctor. Um, and he was, at one point in his life, was struggling with some cancer. I came across an old article about him uh, during his season of which he was himself struggling uh, with cancer. Lots of people struggle with illness, but his story really warranted a long article. And it was a part of this story uh, of him struggling with his cancer and uh, that his personal story as a young boy came out. You see, Ben Carson started out like lots of teenagers, just bouncing around through life, doing life the way that he wanted to, uh, doing what he wanted to do, having a good time, hanging out with his friends. But there was a particular moment in his life where everything changed, and it came at the age of 14. When he was 14 years of age, something happened that, that really led to his life being turned around. He got into a fight with another boy. And it was in the dust-up of this fight uh, that, he, that things got so heated that Ben pulled a knife on this boy and stabbed the boy. But it, had it not been for a belt buckle that the, the boy that he tried to stab, was, that this boy was wearing, the belt buckle stopped the, the blade, deflected the blade. And if that hadn't have happened, you wouldn't know Ben Carson at all today. He would just be known as Ben Carson the murderer. But when he realized how close he had come to taking someone's life, Ben went home, got into his room, began to weep, started reading his Bible, Bible and came out completely changed. Ben Carson turned from, being, with, from hanging out with the gang and he started studying. Went on to, to medical school, then became a pediatric neurosurgeon at John Hopkins University. And if you can think of that, the, the very hands... Uh, that almost took the life of a child is now it was then being used to save the life of children. And I, I give you his 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 testimony, his reputation for just a moment to think about. Ben had two possible journeys, two possible reputations that could have followed him. One was the reputation of a murderer, and the other was the reputation of a great doctor. Fortunately for him, because of the intervention of the Lord the better reputation followed him. So here's my question for you. Because we all can have those moments of the choice that we make and that will determine the direction that we go. What is the reputation that follows you? What reputation is most typical of you? What is the testimony that you are leaving behind? I came across this obituary and I what I'm about to read to you is a, a little humorous, but it's also sad at the same time. So I just want to read it to you. It's, it's a, a, a true testimony. It's the obituary of a hated man. Leslie Charping was born in Galveston, Texas on November the 20th, 1942, and passed away January 30th, 2017, which was 29 years longer than expected and much longer than he deserved. Leslie battled with cancer in his later years and lost his battle ultimately due to being the horse's rear end. I just edited that, by the way. I gave you the Baptist version, all right? Uh, he ultimately lost his battle due to being the horse's rear end he was known for. Um, and he leaves behind two re relieved children, six grandchildren, and countless other victims, including an ex-wife, relatives, friends, neighbors, doctors, nurses, and random strangers. At a young age, Leslie quickly became a model example of bad parenting combined with mental illness and a complete commitment to drinking drugs, womanizing, and ge being generally offensive. Leslie enlisted to serve in the Navy, but not so much in a brave and patriotic way, but more as a part of a plea deal to escape sentencing on criminal charges. Leslie was surprisingly intelligent 
However, he lacked ambition and motivation to do anything more than being reckless, wasteful, squandering the family savings, and fantasizing about get-rich-quick schemes. His hobbies included being abusive to his family, expediting trips to heaven for the beloved family pets, and fishing, which he was less skilled than, with than the previously mentioned. Leslie's life served no other obvious purpose. He did not contribute to society or serve his community, and he possessed no redeeming qualities besides quick-witted sarcasm, which was amusing during his sober days. While Leslie's passing, with Leslie's passing, he will be missed only for what he never did, being a loving husband, father, and good friend. No services will be held. There will be no prayers for eternal peace and no apologies to the family he tortured. Leslie's remains will be cremated and kept in the barn until the family's donkey's wood shavings run out. Leslie's passing proves that evil does in fact die and hopefully marks a time of healing and safety for all. Man, Father's Day must have been a trip around that household, right? Isn't that sad? I know that's an extreme example. But it's, it is a stark example. Here is the encouragement I think that it leaves in front of us. And I, I want it to be an encouraging word. You're living out your testimony right now. You're writing it as we speak. You, you may have maybe behind the eight ball a little bit, maybe up to this moment. Perhaps you've not been all that you've needed to be. Maybe you've been a whole lot more like Diotrephes than, than Gaius and Demetrius. But you have a moment. You have a moment right here and right now to seek the Lord and to pursue Him. To, to trust Christ if you've not done so, but then, then begin to live your life for Him and to so live your life now while being mindful of how you will be remembered. That your testimony is being proclaimed. It will be pro proclaimed one day, one way or another. But it is being proclaimed even now. Because the day is coming. It's on its way, friends. It's here today. It's closer now than it has ever been. But the day is coming when you are going to die. The day is coming when you will no longer be here. You will be gone. Memorial services are going to be held. Obituaries are going to be written. So how will you be remembered? I want to point out one last verse. You'll see it there in verse 12 when he says, We also add our testimony. In addition to Gaius' testimony and Diotrephes and Demetrius, John says to all of us, we also add our testimony. Good or bad, we add our testimony. And you know our testimony is true. So friend, what testimony are you adding to this pantheon, this listing, uh, this great listing of testimonies? Is it one of positive one of flourishing in the Spirit, one of flourishing in your walk with the Lord, conforming to the Lord, bearing a good, imitating good and, and having a good reputation, or is it one where it's all, it was all about you? All of life was about your slanderous, rebellious, self-centered life. What will it be? I pray that you choose to follow Jesus. Take yourself off of that throne and, put, and allow Him to be the God that He already is and to serve Him to the end of, the day, of your days, so that one day others will rise up and say, He or she walked with the Lord. Let's pray together. Lord, I'm grateful for this, this call. Really, Lord, You were calling us out today and reminding us through the testimonies of others that we are not 
really ultimately in control of what others will say when we're gone. But Lord, we are able to bear testimony now that will impact what others say. And Lord, I, my hope is, is no, no one thinks that this is simply about us being good. Because none of us are good. None of us are righteous. But that, Lord, we know that only you are good. And it's only through a relationship with you that your righteousness imputed in us shines forth. And so, Lord, let this, this message today, let this be about a call for us to seek you and to seek after you. And to walk with you. So that in our walk with you, it will be reflective in our love and our hospitality to others. That there will be evidence of our walk with you. That others will see that we are walking in the truth. That our lives are conforming to your word. And so Lord, let every single day be about making much of you. So that in the end, our very testimony will do the same. So we ask this, we pray this. In the name of Christ Jesus, we pray it. Amen.